This is Pablo Escobar, Escape from la Catedral. The tapes you are about to hear have been translated and dramatized by voice actors. You know, politicians live off their image, right? So listen, we have to escalate. Hit them with everything we got. We leave them with one choice, and one choice only. Arranging talks to a negotiating peace agreement. A set of cassettes recorded by intelligence services arrives at the offices of Detective. They were recordings of phone calls made by Colombian rock lord Pablo Escobar during the hectic period between 1989 and 1992. This is the story of these secret tapes that chronicle the months before the final downfall of Escobar and how the outlaw's rocky ending held an entire country hostage and in a state of permanent anxiety. So, brother, we're in. We got it, brother. Yes, we're going to use it to burn down the houses of the rich, to hit the politicians, to get back at the soldiers and policemen who are out to get us. Any judges bothering us, and even journalists, we're gonna get us all. At the peak of his power, Pablo Escobar thought of himself as an all-powerful deity. Like the Greek god Apollo, he thought that order could only blossom from destruction and peace could only come from chaos. So we have to create a very, very, very big chaos so they can call us to peace. On November 27, 1989, an Avianca Boeing 727 carrying 107 passengers en route to Cali exploded mid-air over a rural area just south of Bogota. Initial reports indicate the flight was a target of a bombing by drug traffickers. There were no survivors. Tonight, Colombia as liberal candidate Luis Carlos Gallan Sarmiento was victim of a terrorist attack when he presides over a political meeting in Socha, very close to Bogota. At the time, people would put masking tape over their windows, just in case a bomb went off. That way, flying shards of glass wouldn't decapitate them. Back in 1989, the violence didn't just come from Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel, but also by their rivals in Cali, paramilitary groups, and of course, guerrilla movements. Amid of all that anxiety, the Colombian authorities could see no other option but to try to negotiate. My name is Jorge Ramos. I am the nightly news anchor for Univision News. I have covered the drug trade all over Latin America for over 30 years. When I was approached to do this podcast, I had to say yes, because it involved listening to a mysterious set of 35 tapes that were sent to a production company in Mexico called Detective. The package simply read, Escobar Tapes. We are certain that we fulfilled the destiny set before us by the great liberator Simón Bolívar. To vigorously advance towards this new episode of our history, to pave the way towards the 21st century. The old ways have been left behind and with the help of the God of Colombia, we will achieve a prosperous and peaceful nation. Colombians, welcome to the future.
1991, after the leading candidate in Colombia's presidential race, Luis Carlos Galán, was murdered, economist César Gaviria became president of Colombia. There are no handbooks that teach you how to deal with someone like Pablo Escobar, who is willing to burn down an entire country just to escape justice. Something drastic had to be done. Colombian society was under a state of siege that Escobar had orchestrated. As journalists, our role is to put a check on power. And during this time in Colombia, journalists played a key role in Escobar's surrender to authorities. Juan Gosain, head of news at RCN, Colombia's national radio station, took part in direct negotiations with the drug lord. Well, Pablo, let's work something out so that we can speak to the president. Do you want me to call the president right now or not? Okay, okay, claro. I have no issue with that. I am very interested in fixing my problem. Negotiations for Escobar's surrender involve many different parties. Journalists, businessmen, undercover agents, and even criminals. Everyone seemed to be making deals in the shadows. Amongst the general population, rumors that Escobar was going to turn himself in started to circulate. In the late 80s, Luis Alirio Calle hosted a popular television show that counted Escobar as a fan. And to his surprise, the drug lord chose him as a witness for his surrender to the authorities. I was very surprised to receive the letter from Escobar. I didn't believe it was real. But right there on the page was his signature and his fingerprint. It was a well-known fact that Escobar always included his fingerprint along with his signature. The letter read, Junio 7 de 1991. June 7, 1991, to Luis Alirio Calle. Dear friend, I send special greetings. I was surprised that your letter reached me. Today is Friday. It is one in the afternoon. At eight o'clock last night, I met with my lawyers and told them that I wish to have Father Garcia Herreros join me when I go to court. Another key player in Escobar's surrender was a priest. Like Luis Alirio Calle, Father Rafael García Herreros also had a popular television show. And this is when Father García Herreros comes into the picture. He was the host of a very popular television show called El Minuto de Dios. Escobar was a big fan. El Minuto de Dios, or God's Minute, started in 1950 as a radio show. By 1955, he moved to television, where it aired for 38 years. It connected with the Escobar family and their strange way of observing the loss of God and also the loss of violence. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker the Hargan family killings. 
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. And suddenly, reality becomes stranger than fiction. In Pablo Escobar's mind, Father Garcia Herreros was a person beyond good and evil. He was someone who could build trust with Escobar. And in April 1991, he gave a strange speech on his TV show. Herreros spoke directly to Escobar in cryptic language. He said, you want to give yourself up, don't you? And he asked, where can we meet? The average Colombian watching the show probably had no idea what was going on. But for Escobar, the message was loud and clear. Only a priest could have come up with such a direct and simultaneously cryptic message. But Escobar knew exactly what he meant. Pablo Escobar agreed to Luis Alirio Calle interview request. Alberto Villamizar. Alberto Villamizar, the Attorney General, the Departamental Attorney, and maybe the Governor or Juan Gomez Martinez, and in any case, a journalist. He said, I want the journalist to be the most honest of all, someone who always denounces injustice and looks at things independently, with seriousness and professionalism. Luis Alirio Calle. Alirio Calle got emotional as he recalled that moment. Escobar insisted there be witnesses when he turned himself in. He mentioned the governor of Antioquia, the mayor of Medellin, and a journalist. And the journalist was me. I also think this was strategic. He didn't want a large press pool with cameras and microphones that he couldn't control. How does one respond when one of the world's most dangerous criminals requests your presence as he turns himself in? I didn't answer the letter. I didn't get a chance. And they weren't expecting an answer. They assume I will say yes. They presume I will show up. A few days went by and I kept thinking. Is this actually going to happen? I didn't know what to do. There was a lot of uncertainty around his surrender. No one knew if he was going to turn himself in or not. If it will be today or tomorrow or the next day. Then, on June 19, 1991, Escobar sent someone to pick him up. A young man appeared one day at the news station that I direct and said, it is time to go. And I said, where? He said, first, we will go to Antioquia State House. I went with him. I wasn't allowed to bring my camera or even a piece of paper to take notes. He said, no, no, you can take anything with you. We knew then that Escobar was going to surrender. The government even shut down for the day because of threats. Then we went up to the roof and there were two helicopters waiting. While he wasn't allowed to take a notebook or his camera, Alirio Calle managed to smuggle in a small tape recorder. We all got into the helicopters. I boarded the one with Father Garcia Herreros, as well as the criminal investigation director a member of the House of Representatives named Alberto Villamizar and two of Pablo Escobar's men. One of the helicopters flew directly to the prison and the other to pick up Pablo, 
I was on that one. It almost sounds like a bad joke. A priest, a journalist, and a drug lord board a helicopter, but it wasn't. As this trio flew through the mountains of Colombia, Luis Alirio Calle couldn't help but feel a little scared. We flew really close to the mountains, and the forest was way thicker back than compared to today. I thought to myself, it will be pretty easy for someone to hide in the forest with a bazooka and blast us out of the sky. I was terrified. Escobar had carefully planned the entire process of his own arrest. He chose the day, he chose the witnesses of his surrender, he was the master of ceremonies. When Pablo boarded, it felt like he wanted to ease the tension. So when he got on the helicopter, he was smiling. The first thing he said was, Luis Alirio, I finally get to meet you. Then suddenly, the governor's press chief handed me paper and a tape recorder. And with that, I managed to cover Escobar's surrender. Well, I cover what Pablo allowed me to cover. It's to show the people a different side of the story. Not only what they usually hear. You have to show them another side of the story, right? Hey, hey, he's a sneaky one. He turned on the recorder. Listen, let's do something. Escobar had a speech prepared. It felt more like he was accepting an Academy Award than going to prison. After his triumphant helicopter entry alongside a businessman whose wife he had kidnapped, a priest and a single hand-picked journalist, Escobar arrived at La Catedral, the cathedral, his prison at Envigado. Everyone had their own version of the facts. This is how Alirio Calle recalls the events. Pablo Escobar drew his gun, unloaded it, gave it to the warden, and then yelled, ¡Que viva Colombia! Long live Colombia. But what was seen as a day of celebration for millions of Colombians desperate to end the violence was seen in a very different light in the United States. We were very worried because our intelligence indicated that he was making demands on uh, President Gaviria, which to us were completely unacceptable. And we were afraid that Gaviria would accept this. This is Joe Toff, who was the head of the DEA in Colombia at the time. Even though the government was denying that these negotiations were going on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the police knew they were going on, we knew they were going on. And the day that he turned himself in, it was a very, very bad day for law enforcement, a very bad day for DEA, a very bad day for the police. We were sick. We were so disappointed that he turned himself in because in essence, we felt defeated because he turned himself in under his own conditions, you know, to his own prison that he built. And uh, that's kind of unusual for a law enforcement trying to, you know, prevent the surrender of a criminal. So um, uh, it was pretty interesting time. Interesting times indeed. Cesar Gaviria's government had made a risky, high-stakes bet. They had given many concessions, as Toff explains, to Escobar. They would expunge his criminal record in Colombia, and he would be housed in a prison that he himself would be in charge of building. But for the moment, the unthinkable had happened. 
Pablo Escobar's surrender. Escobar's left behind bars that night. Colombians could finally catch their breath. But some felt that, given the demand for drugs in the United States, a new drug kingpin would take Escobar's place. The biggest question on the minds of Colombians was how long it will take for a new drug lord to emerge and take Escobar's place. And whether or not this moment was the end of the drug cartels that for almost two decades broke death and violence from which no family could escape. A big unknown at the time was just how long would Escobar's peace last? It was a delicate pact. Escobar was imprisoned in a place of his choosing, in a building that the drug lord designed to his liking, and where he also had what would become one of his most lethal weapons, the telephone. <laughs> 